Hello and welcome to another edition of the Rabbi Rabinowitz Podcast, hosted by the Jacksonville Colo. I want to begin today by discussing Hoshana Rabba. Hoshana Rabba, which literally means the great Hoshana, uh, Hoshana referring to the Aravos, uh, is the seventh day of Sukkot, Chaf Aleph Tishrei, the 21st day of Tishrei. Now, if you look in the Torah, and even if you look in other sources, so Hoshana Rabbah does have certain things that make it unique, but not really the way that we experience it today and all of the uh, minhagim customs that we do today on Hoshana Rabbah. And it's interesting when it all developed. What I mean to say is like this. Today, we view Hoshana Rabbah as being a chasima, a ceiling for the Yom Adin, for the judgment that began on Rosh Hashanah. In other words, even though during Elul and during the 10 days of repentance, we kept on saying, everybody do Teshuvah, it's time to repent, because Yom Kippur, it all comes to an end. It's Ne'ilah, the gates are closing, it's all going to be over. If you blow it, then they, oh, you blew it, and this is your only chance. Now that all that has passed, so now we go and we say, well, sort of. You see, you still get another chance because it's not truly, truly over until Hoshana Rabbah. Now, there's a whole question like, where did that idea come from? Clearly, it came from the Mikubalm, the Kabbalist. Uh, where exactly they got it from? Was it just some type of oral tradition? That uh, That's what it seems. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky Yaakov Kamenetsky uh, was a, uh, a Russian yeshiva, the head of a yeshiva here in the United States of America. He died about 30 years ago. And he writes in his, uh, he writes in his sefer a long essay where he says that actually only the tzaddikim of each generation knew this and they couldn't share it with the general public because we have a mitzvah of v'samachta b'chagecha. We have a mitzvah to be happy on Hoshana, on the entire Sukkot. And if one would know that the judgment is still open, so then it would take away from the happiness and from the joy that we're supposed to feel on Yantif. Therefore, only the tzaddikim of every generation knew it. It was like a big secret. He says that over time... So perhaps what happened was, over time, people forgot. Um, sorry, that's not correct. Over time, so uh, people needed extra time to do teshuva. They needed the extra, you know, sometimes you have the deadline, but then, uh, okay, fine, we'll extend the deadline. So they needed that extended deadline. And he says the fact is that uh, for most people today, it's, uh, it's not true. It won't affect our Simchas Yantif. Sadly, we'll continue to go along with Yantif just the same way, even though we know that the books are still open. So therefore, it, w- it was allowed to be revealed to everyone because it would give them a push to do Teshuvah on the one hand, and on the other hand, it wouldn't actually affect the joy that they're supposed to be feeling on the Yom Tov. Be that as it may, during most of Sukkot, people don't think about it, but Hoshana Rabbah being the last day, all of a sudden people do get very involved. In that, and this is really what affects a lot of the customs that we have on Hoshana Rabbah. So, for example, the Chazan on Hoshana Rabbah wears the white kittel, the white robe that uh, the Chazan wore on Rosh Hashanah or that most married men wore on Yom Kippur. The Chazan wears that on Hoshana Rabbah, the tune that we daven. So there are different customs, exactly which parts of the davening we do this, which parts of the davening we don't do this. But basically the tune that the chazan uses, if he does it correctly, 
So is supposed to be the Yamim Noraim, the High Holidays tune. So just like when he finishes a paragraph, so then uh, instead of doing it the regular way, but he says, Tilas Hashem Yedaber In other words, the tune that he uses is supposed to conjure up the images and the memories of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and that's why we use it in that way. Interestingly, when it comes to the davening, so the davening at night is the same, the davening at Mincha is the same, but Shachris is different. It's, it's a very long davening, and normally what happens is that Psukhid Zimra, Psukhid Zimra is the beginning part of davening, um, is the beginning part of davening before you get up to Yishtabach. So Psukhid Zimra on Shabbos is much longer than it is during the rest of the week, and on Hoshana Rava, we do the Shabbos version rather than the um, everyday version. It gets a little bit tricky because uh, the the one major difference is that every day we say Mizmar Le Soda, which on Shabbos we don't say. Well, on the other hand, uh, on Shabbos we say Mizmar Shir Liyom HaShabbos, and most people on Hoshana Rava actually say both of those. They say Mizmar Shir Liyom HaShabbos and Mizmar Le Soda. It goes until Az Yashir, but at Az Yashir, right before Yishtabach, so on Shabbos we start with Nishmas, Kolchai, we start with Nishmas. But on Hoshana Rabbah we don't say Nishmas, and we just go right into Yishtabach, and after that it becomes more of a regular weekday or Cholmoid davening. The other aspect which makes the davening take a very long time is that the Hallel is the same Hallel that we've been doing the entire Cholamoit. The, the laning, the Kriya Satora, is also very short, just like all the other days of Cholamoit. But after Musaf, we do the um, Hakafos, where we walk around the Shul holding the Lulav and an Esrog. Now, there are places that have a custom that they do that immediately after Hallel, which is, in fact, uh, my custom, but not the custom of the shul that I daven in, so that's not the way that I do it. I follow the custom of the shul. So let's just talk about it that way. So after Musaf, so then they, um, so then they go around and they, and we, and we, and we walk around instead of one time, like we did all the other days of Yom Tov, holding the Lul of an Esrog, we walk around seven times holding the, the four species, the Lul of Esrog, Hadassim, and Aravos. And, uh, the Chazan leads everyone in saying the different paragraphs, and each one of the paragraphs starts out um, they go in Aleph Bey's order, so you're going to have every single letter of the Aleph Bey's represented. So the Chazan says, Hoshana Lamana Mita, Hoshana, and everyone answers, Hoshana Lamana Mita, Hoshana, Hoshana Lamana, and it goes like that for, for all, for all seven paragraphs. After all seven paragraphs have been completed, so at that point, everyone returns back to their place. Everyone returns back to their place. I should have mentioned that we take out all of the Sifre Torah from the Aron Kodesh before this all begins. Now, there's actually an interesting question, whether or not, if someone had a choice to hold the Sefer Torah or to hold the Lulav and Esrog, which one you should choose. In other words, if the guy comes over to you, you may not have much of a choice unless you could convince him otherwise. Um, but but we take out all of the Sifre Torah from the Aron Kodesh, so that's quite a lot of Sifre Torah. Now, my first instinct would be, I could hold the Sefer Torah any day. 
but this is my one chance to fulfill the mitzvah of Hoshana Rabbah. Nevertheless, you're still par- participating in the mitzvah. You're just doing it from the beam, holding a Sefer Torah, now with the Lulav and an Esrog. So this is actually a machlokus, a disagreement. There are those that say that actually it would be a greater honor to hold the Sefer Torah, and that is definitely the way that the Gabbai is going to hold, because he needs to find people to hold the Sefer Torah. Um, however, others, including Rav Shalman Zalman Arbach, disagree, and they say that today is the big day to walk around with the Lulav and and Esrog, and he actually suggested if you don't have enough people, in other words, sometimes you have someone that doesn't have a little of an Esrog. So for him, it's great, because if he doesn't have a Sefer Torah, he's not going to be able to participate at all. By giving him a Sefer Torah, so now he doesn't just have to stand there uh, feeling uh, sometimes rather foolish that everyone else has a little of, and for some reason doesn't have one. So now, good, you gave him something to do. But let's say everyone in the shul has, or only one or two people don't have, and you got five Sifrei Torah in the Aaron Kodesh. So Shom Zalman Rabbach was the, of the opinion that one should take all the Sifrei Torah out, but you don't need to actually have everyone hold them. You could just put some of them down on the bima and allow everyone to actually make the hakafos to walk around the show like that. Now, after the seven circuits have been completed, like I started to uh, say before, before I interrupted myself, so after the seven circuits have been completed, so then we have a number of paragraphs. There's different customs exactly at which point one puts down the lulav and esrog and then switch to holding a bundle of five Aravos. So at some point, though, you put down the Lubanasur, you hold the bundle, which just has the five Aravos, and you finish off um, an, another number of paragraphs. And when that's all completed, so then that's when everyone goes and they bang the Aravos on the floor five times. I don't know exactly what the reason is why one does that. I believe it's Kabbalah. Um, but you take the Aravos and you bang them on the floor five times. The Arizal who was from the greatest of the Kabbalists, that Rizal writes five times and not more. So as a child, that was always very disappointing because uh, I wanted to bang and bang, and my father would uh, say, no, no, that Rizal says not more than five. Now, the other thing which is also surprising is it does say you're supposed to try to knock off leaves when you do the banging. And I don't know, for some reason, I take my lula of an esrog and I just do a regular shake in all the six directions, and I got leaves flying all over the place. I take my... Arabos, I bang it with all my might, and I can't manage to knock off any leaves. I don't know why that is, but I don't know. That happens sometimes. So you take the Arabos and you bang it for five times, and that is basically the end of the service of the Arabos. There is an idea to have a special seuda, a special meal on Hushan Arabah, and as I believe I mentioned before Yom Kippur, that many have a custom to have kreploch. Kreploch is uh, chopped meat covered in dough. And uh, we mentioned then, just I'll mention it again very quickly, that uh, in Yiddish, the word for chopped meat is gehakta fleisch, which literally means like banged meat. So some people say that there are three days that we bang. And on those three days that we bang, we eat this banged meat, which is on Ervium Kippur when we bang our chest, when we say al chait, and on Hoshana Rabba when we bang the arovas on the ground, and on Purim when we bang every time we hear the name Haman during the Megillah. Now, that doesn't explain why we cover it in white, so that you have to come on to other reasons. I mentioned then uh, that some say that it's because these days are very, very special, but people don't appreciate the specialness of the day because one can go to work, one can do most types of work, drive, turn on lights, etc. And therefore, meat represents Yom Tov, because there's a special idea on Yom Tov to have meat. 
and therefore meat represents Yom Tov, but because the Yom Tov is a little bit covered, so we don't appreciate it, therefore we take it and we cover it with white. Others say that these are days of forgiveness, Erev Yom Kippur, of course, Rishon Rabbah, we explained, is the end of the uh, judgment time, and Purim is a discussion for another time, but uh, Purim is also a time of forgiveness. So therefore, these times we take the meat, which is dark, and we cover it with the dough, which is white, as a way of showing that our sins are being forgiven. Now, on Hoshana Rabba night, I know I'm going, I'm going out of order, sorry. On Hoshana Rabba night, there are different customs, um, especially because of the fact that it's the last chance. Many people uh, have a custom to say Tehillim Hoshana Rabba night. Um, others just, in general, spend the time learning Torah to try to take advantage of the opportunity in Many places, especially in Yerushalayim, they, are, they have uh, celebrations every single night of Sukkot with uh, dancing and a lot of joy. And when I when I was living there, it was a uh, it was a lot of fun to go to these places, and uh, they would play music to one, two o'clock in the morning. And uh, I don't think I usually stayed that late, but. Uh, people would get together and they would dance to experience the joy of the Yontif, but not Hoshana Rabba. Hoshana Rabba was too solemn of a night. That was a, it was a, it was a time that was set aside for learning Torah, for saying Tehillim and the like. Many communities have a custom that, uh, they read over the entire Sefer Devarim. Sefer Devarim is known as Mishnah Torah, sort of like a review of the Torah. Of course, there's a lot of new things in Devarim also, but it's a review of the Torah, and therefore, they read the entire Sefer Devarim, Hoshana Rabbanite, from a Sefer Torah. So you need to have uh, Bali Kriya that are familiar enough with Delaney in order to be able to do that, and people that are willing to sit there and to listen, but it's a, that's a custom that many communities have to do that on Hoshana Rabbanite. Additionally, there's another interesting uh, thing that happens which is that there's a mitzvah called Shnayim Mikra Ve'echatargam, which is that before every Shabbos, one is to, or, or before Shabbos or during Shabbos, one is supposed to have read the entire Parsha twice out of the Chumash, and one time a translation of the Parsha, ideally the translation of Onkelos into Aramaic, if not, maybe a different translation, but twice reading the words of the Chumash and one time a translation of the Chumash. Now, one's supposed to finish before Shabbos. What happens if they didn't finish before Shabbos, so then they fall behind, and once someone falls behind, it's very hard to catch up. So the deadline to finish for the year for catching up is on Simchas Torah. So a lot of people on Hoshana Rabbah, they, uh, they spend the whole night just sitting there and reading all the many partios that they are behind to catch up for Simchas Torah so that they'll be able to finish together with the entire congregation. Now let's move into the next two days, which are known as Shmini Atzeres and Simchas Torah. So the first thing which is good to know is that in Israel they only have one day. Like all the other holidays, uh, they have, for example, when we had the first two days of Sukkot, they had only one day of Sukkot. So, which is what it says in the Torah, not a discussion for now, but because there was this doubt for the people that lived far away and they didn't know what when, when the when Rosh Chodesh was, when the Muni had been sanctified, so that's why they had to make an extra an extra day. So Shmini Atzeres, the eighth day of Sukkot, if you will, it's not really Sukkot, but the eighth day is the last day of the holiday. In 
America, we have two days. We have Shemini Atzeres, and then we added this extra day, Simchas Torah. Now, interestingly, the Chachamim decided to give each day a little bit of its own character. In other words, Pesach, you have the first two days of Pesach. In Israel, they only have one Seder, and we have two Seders. Whatever we did on the first day of Pesach, we do on the second day of Pesach. Whatever we did pretty much on the first day of Sukkot, we do on the second day of Sukkot. But here, they went and they gave each day its own unique character. So, for example... On Shmini Atzeres, so Shmini Atzeres we have, uh, basically it's like a regular Yom Tov, except what's added to that is that we start to daven for rain. So Shmini Atzeres and Musaf, we have a special tefillah, a special prayer called Tefillah's Geshem, where once again the Chazim puts on a white kittel. There's a special uh, a special nusach, the uh, the chant that's used by the Chazim is different than any other time of year, except for on Pesach when we start to daven for dew. So the Chazan has this special tefillah for it called Tefillah's Geshem to ask Hashem to, or, uh, to talk about the might that Hashem has when it comes to sending the rain. You see, only later on are we going to start to ask Hashem to send rain. We still don't want it, Hashem to make it rain. So really, the rainy season starts approximately at the beginning of Sukkot. But we don't want Hashem to make it rain at the beginning of Sukkot because then we get rain out of our Sukkah. So therefore, we push off until Sukkot is over. Now, we still don't want to ask for rain because there were many people that would travel from far distances to be able to get to Yerushalayim and celebrate the Yom Tov of Sukkot in Yerushalayim. If they're going to get wet and uh, caught in downpours on the way home, again, back in the times of the temple, then they would be disappointed and maybe they would not recall the holiday of Sukkot with fond memories because they would all remember how they got sick on the way home. Therefore, we push off davening until everyone gets a chance to get home. So, in Israel, they would wait for 15 days after Sukkot to give the person who lived the very, very furthest away within Israel enough time to get home. Ah, what happens if he decided to go shopping first or to stop at a relative? Okay, that's not our problem. But we give them a full 15 days in order to get home before we start davening for rain. And that's, in fact, the way that they do it until today in Israel. Here in America, we do things differently. And we wait till much later, till December, to start asking Hashem for rain. However, while we don't ask for rain, we mention that Hashem has the power to bring rain. Hashem has the power to make it rain, which is sort of like a uh, hint that uh, the rainy season is coming. So we want to mention that you have the power to bring rain, Hashem, because obviously if you do, then when the time is appropriate, you will make it rain. So that's what we do on Shemini Atzeres. And then Simchas Torah, of course, has, like we'll talk in a few minutes, all of the customs that go together with Simchas Torah, the finishing of the Torah and the beginning once again. So that you can't really do two days in a row. So therefore, the Chachamim went and they said, for those of us living here in the diaspora, they split it where you have two separate days. In Eretz Yisrael, so they have to jam-pack combine everything into just one day. So they have uh, they have all of the uh, hakafos and all that, everything that they do in Simchas Torah. And then when all of that is over, they then have to go and not have a regular Musaf. Generally by us, uh, after the hakafos is over, Musaf tends to be very quickly because everybody's worn out and tired and hungry. And, and nope, there it's a very serious Musaf because they're still saying Tfilas Geshem. They're davening to Hashem for rain, which is uh, very serious, and they give it the proper respect that it deserves. Hasidim have a custom that the one thing which they do do similar to Simchas Torah is that on Shemini not during the day, 
But at night, they have hakafos. They take the Sifrei Torah out of the Yarn Kodesh, and they dance with the Sifrei Torah. It tends to be much faster than the hakafos that we do on Simchas Torah, but it's like, I wouldn't call it a warm-up, but already from Shemir Yatzeris, they start to do hakafos uh, and dance with the Sifrei Torah the night before. The big debate on Shemini Atzeris is whether one does sit in the sukkah or one does not sit in the sukkah. The Shulchan Aruch rules very clearly that one does sit in the sukkah on Shemini Atzeris. Uh, however, because it's not really sukkahs anymore, so then you wouldn't make a bracha of Leishev Basukkah. Let me explain. I was trying to avoid this topic, but I think I have to touch upon it a little bit more than I wanted to. We have... Not anymore, but they had this doubt what day the Yom Tov really was. So let's go back to the first day of Sukkot, right? The person living in the diaspora, so he didn't know whether the first day of Sukkot is truly the first day of Sukkot, or maybe he's off by one day, and really, let's call it Monday, right? Really, Monday, it might be the first day of Sukkot, but it might be Arab Sukkot, it might be the day before Sukkot. So therefore, he would celebrate Sukkot on Monday, but then celebrate the, the Yom Tov once again on Tuesday to make sure that in case he was wrong and the first day wasn't Sukkot, the first day was just the day before, so that it was actually celebrated on Tuesday. Now, this is interesting because if it's not Yom Tov, then you really have no business making Kiddush or anything like that, but... And uh, a man should really be putting on tefillin all the things that, well, okay, Chalmud is questionable if you wear tefillin or you don't wear tefillin. That's different customs. But all, all the things that one does during a weekday, so we don't do because we assume that it is Yom Tov. Because we weren't sure, uh, again, why we keep this today, that's a separate discussion. But we weren't sure whether Monday was really the Yom Tov or perhaps we were off by day and Tuesday is the Yom Tov. Well, now let's come to the end of Sukkot. So if Hoshana Rabbah, um, in our case this year on Sunday, is really the last day of Sukkot. So then that's it. Sukkot is over. However, if we were off by a day and the Yom Tov didn't really start on Monday, it really started on Tuesday, then everything is off by one day. And then it comes out that Hoshana Rabbah is really on Monday. But we're celebrating Shemini Atzeres on Monday. So you sort of can't do both at the same time. You can't celebrate Shemini Atzeres and celebrate Hoshana Rabbah, it's one or the other. So we don't make any procession with the love. In fact, we don't even shake the love because that would look rather strange. However, when it comes to sitting in the sukkah, we still sit in the sukkah. And the basic premise, why it would be okay to sit in the sukkah, and it doesn't look strange, like, what are you doing? Sukkah is over, is, well, you know, it's beautiful outside. Um, many years it's not necessarily. Thankfully, this year has been really nice weather. Um, but it's nice outside, and it's like a camping experience. It's a picnic. It's a, why not? Let's let's spend a t- let's spend time in the sukkah. So therefore, because of that, that's why the Shulchan Aruch says that when it comes to shaking love, you can't shake love. That would be a contradiction, and we can't we can't do both at the same time because maybe it's Shemini maybe it's Hoshana Rabbah, but. When it comes to shake, when it comes to sitting in the sukkah, so that's not necessarily a contradiction because even though you're sitting in the sukkah, that is a little bit unusual, but it's okay because maybe you're just sitting there because of the beautiful weather. So therefore, the common practice um, is that one sits in the sukkah but does not make the brach of leishiv basukkah because you have 
you had a doubt back then. Is today, in fact, Toshana Rabbah, or is it is Sukkot over, and today is Shemini Atzeres. So, therefore, because of that, one would sit in the Sukkot, but one would not make a bracha. Those people that come from a Hasidish background, uh, surprisingly, not Chabad. Chabad is very careful to sit in the Sukkot, even on Shemini Atzeres, but most others that come from a Hasidish background do not sit in the Sukkot on Shemini Atzeres, um, they are varying customs. Some go in the sukkah only for Kiddush and Hamotzi. Some go in the sukkah by day, but not by night. There's, there's, there's different customs. And this is where it gets complicated what one does on Shemini Atzeris. It really depends what one's family custom is. What happens if your custom is one way and you get invited to be a guest somewhere else? <laughs> That's a complicated question. Not for this podcast. Haha. <laughs> now, when it comes to Shemini Atzeris, so, interestingly, Shemini Atzeres is not really Sukkot, but it does have a connection to Sukkot, as evidenced just by its name. The name Shmini is eighth. Now, if it's the eighth day, that means that it's not something new. It means that it's some type of continuation. On the other hand, it really is viewed as a regel bifneatzmo, its own Yom Tov, its own holiday, um, and therefore... Uh, it, it does not have the mitzvot that Sukkah has. Interestingly enough, if one forgot, and just out of habit, when they were davening Shmon Esrei, and they said, Biyom, and they were supposed to say, um, so then, and they accidentally said, Chag Hasukos Hazah, so then they have fulfilled the mitzvah, and they do not have to repeat Shmon Esrei. If they said, Chag Hamatzos Hazah, if they mentioned that it was Pesach, then they would not have fulfilled the mitzvah. But it's close enough to Sukkah that we do say that it is Okay, it is like a continuation of Sukkot to a certain extent. And the Medrash explains that where is this whole idea of Shemir Atzeres? I mean, it comes from the Torah, that Hashem says that we should add an extra day. But the Medrash explains this idea basically like this, that Hashem understands that Elul, the beginning of Tishrei, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, the Jews are on a very high level, and this is the pinnacle of how much we can reach, but it's not a level that we can maintain all year long. This is what we do when we push ourselves and we get to the we get to the very top. But we have to go back to having a regular schedule. We can't uh, take off every uh, every week for holidays. We can't uh, be waking up at 6 o'clock in the morning to go to Slichos. Um, some of the extra stringencies that we took upon ourselves, we can't keep for the long term. So therefore, so therefore, Hashem says, you know what? I get it. I understand that you have to go back to life as usual. However, he says, Kasha alai predaschem. It's very difficult for me to watch you go. I really just asking, give me an extra day. So that's what Hashem says. Give me an extra day. I remember when I was a child, uh, before the days of e-tickets, my grandparents came to visit and uh, they lost their tickets and they couldn't return. And they called the airlines and they went to the airport and they were able to get them new tickets. I don't know if they had to pay a penalty or not. Knowing the airlines, they probably did. But they weren't even able to get on their original flight. They had to wait a day. Now, my grandparents were terribly frustrated by the whole experience. I was thrilled. I thought it was great. We had my grandparents for an extra day. So that's sort of what I think about when Hashem says, I hate to see you go. I understand that life has to get back to uh, life as usual, and hopefully you'll be able to maintain certain things that you accomplished during this time. But nevertheless, says Hashem, 
just give me one more day. Let's have one more day that we are together, that we can celebrate together without the distractions of the world, without everything else, just us celebrating together. And that's the idea of Shemini Atzeres. On Shemini Atzeres, we also say Yizker, which, by the way, in Eretz Yisrael, where they only have that one day, so they also have Yizker on Simchas Torah. So it really becomes a very interesting type of day. Now, at the end of Shemini Atzeres, it's customary to go into the sukkah, have one last snack in the sukkah, and then there's a short prayer that one says before leaving the sukkah. Now, in Israel, they don't sit in the sukkah on Shemini Atzeres, because like I said, sukkah is over. There was no doubt. So therefore, they would actually do that on Hoshana Rabbah late in the afternoon, but we do it on Shemini Atzeres, and we go to the sukkah one last time, we have a snack, and we say this prayer. This podcast has already been longer than I expected, but let me just try to finish up with Simcha's Torah. So Simcha's Torah is a tremendous celebration where we celebrate the fact that not only did we complete the Torah, but immediately we're going to start once again with Bereshis and start reading again from from, from Bereshis. The night of Simcha's Torah already in anticipation of this, which is going to happen the next day, we have Hakavos. It starts with the reading of Psukim, which uh, the Mekubalim, the Kabbalists, chose these particular Psukim, which one person leads the congregation, then everybody, everybody responds. Then we have the dancing with the Sifrei Torah, or just people without the Sefer Torah. And again, the reason for the dancing is the celebration. There is a famous parable or story that somebody was not very learned and he was sitting there and dancing on Simchas Torah and somebody came over to him and said, you don't learn anything all year long. What are you celebrating for? A rather rude person, I might add. And this fellow replied and he said, if my brother is making a wedding, I shouldn't be celebrating. So this is a celebration for the entire Jewish people. So, of course, I'm going to be dancing together with them. It's worth mentioning, though, that even more than that is the idea that we're starting. And even if somebody didn't learn until now, so he can start and he can celebrate the fact that he is beginning. And uh, if he pushes himself, then uh, maybe next year, Simchas Torah, he will have even more of a reason to celebrate. So that could be a reason why he's celebrating now also. There is a custom in most congregations to read from the Torah at night after the hakafos are over. And also when we do the Hagba, when we pick up the Sefer Torah on Simchas Torah, so because of the joy of Simchas Torah, and also there's an idea, which is you could turn the Torah this way, you could turn the Torah that way, and you'll be able to find all the different ideas that you're looking for. They all have some source in the Torah. So to show this idea of turning the Torah this way, turning the Torah that way, instead of doing Hagma, instead of picking up the Torah in the regular way, so the person who picks it up crosses his arms, picks it up, and then holds the Torah the other way. And actually what that happens then is that he is the, uh, the, the words of the Torah normally are facing the one who picked it up. In this case, they'd be facing, they'd be facing everyone else. Here at its time in Jacksonville, they created a Interesting custom that the person then goes and walks around the entire bima while holding the Sefer Torah in that manner. Uh, it's quite a feat. Definitely not something that I could pull off, but uh, they choose the right people that are strong enough to do it. And uh, 
and it's it's pretty unbelievable to to watch. The next morning, the next morning, so we have a regular Yom Tov davening. The one major difference is like this: we our custom today is that even though in Eretz Yisrael, even though in Israel the Kohanim do the duchening, the Kohanim do the birchas Kohanim, where they stand there and they cover their uh, themselves with the towels and say Hashem That uh, that duchening from the Kohanim is done every single day. But here in the diaspora, it's only done on Yom Tov. So we only have a few days a year that we do it. Now, it's very serious. A Kohen is not allowed to duchen after he has had any wine to drink. In fact, the reason why, even in Israel, they only dochen in the morning, but they don't dochen at Mincha, is because of the fact that maybe the Kohen ate lunch, and while he was eating lunch, he drank wine, and then he forgot, and he gets up to dochen, and that would be a grave sin. So, therefore, they never daven it, they never dochen at Mincha, except on a fast day. On fast days, Kohanim do do the dochening during Mincha because we know that they haven't had anything to eat. Now, our normally we do the Dukhaning at Musaf. Our concern is that because we have this long davening and we have the hakafos, so typically either in the middle of the hakafos or after the laning, there's a big kiddush because everybody's hungry. So it's very likely that the Kohanim may have had something to drink. Therefore, it became customary that uh, we do the Dukhaning at Shachris and not at Musaf on Simchas Torah. We have the long dancing, the hakafos, and then it, and then the minig is that everybody, or to be more precise, all men or children that are male should get an aliyah to the Torah. Now, exactly what age children should get the aliyah is 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 a big debate. Um, the common practice in many places seems to be that any child that actually knows how to read should get an aliyah. Others are not happy with this, and they believe if a child is not going to take it with the correct seriousness, and he's just he's not going to read along together with the one who's reading from the Torah, then he's really too young still to get an aliyah. But anyway, men get an aliyah, and the reason why this practice became is that everybody should uh, should get to make the birchas ha-Torah. They should get to make the brachas on the Torah, on Simchas Torah. Everyone should have, have an opportunity to be called up to the Torah. So therefore, this became the custom for men that uh, and children, uh, male children, that they get called up to the Torah on some Torah in order to make this happen. In order to make this happen, it would take forever. So therefore, we split up into different groups, and different groups have the laning in different rooms. This way, it can go faster, and people can get their aliyah. I was once in a show where they would say, Yamo, so-and-so, Vit, so-and-so. They would call up two people at once. But this does not seem to be the typical practice. And uh, everyone gets their own aliyah, not that we call up a few people together. Now, after that, we then have what's known as the Chassan Torah. The Chassan Torah is the one that got either chosen by the show, or in many communities it gets uh, auctioned off, or Chassan Torah in is usually actually in most communities just given to the rav, the rabbi of the shul, and uh, and uh, wh- but whoever it is that gets the chazan Torah aliyah is the one that gets to be that that that's there for the siyum for the finishing of the Torah. So he gets read the last number of psukim from the Torah, which everyone then finishes off with a loud chazak chazak venis chazek. May we be strong and may we be strengthened. And we have then completed the 
entire Torah, which is what we were celebrating all day long. But like I said, as soon as we finish, we begin right we begin right again. So therefore, we start with Bereshis. We don't read the entire Bereshis, but we do go through all seven days of creation. It's customary at the end of each day that there's some singing um, right before we right before we mention that it's the end of day one, day two, day three, etc. I forgot to mention that there is a custom that those people that are too young to be able to get an aliyah, they're not old enough to read, so we want to include them also, so therefore there's another aliyah called Kol Arm, which is all of the youth, and they hold the talus over them, and all the children pack in underneath the talus, and that's just one of the regular aliyahs from the Torah, and they get included in that also. It's usually the one right before Chasen Torah, and they get included in that aliyah, and they get to participate, even though they're not really old enough to get an aliyah of their own. After all that is over, there is one more aliyah, which is the maftir. Like every yamtav has to have a maftir. This one also gets a maftir. It's the same maftir that we read the day before for Shmini Hatzeres. And then it has a haftarah. Haftarah is from the Navi. And the story behind the haftarah, rather qu- very quickly, is that there was a time where the Jews were not allowed to read from the Torah every single week, but they would let them read from the prophets, from Navi. So therefore, the Chachamah went and they chose these different parts of Navi that actually have some connection to that week's Parsha. And for example, if you look on the bottom of the Stone Chumash show, it usually tells you why that particular portion was chosen, what its connection is to that week's Parsha. So here the connection is quite obvious because we read about the very end of the Torah, which ends with Moshe Rabbeinu's death. And then we start with the very first chapter of the book of Yoshua, where it tells us that Yoshua was chosen to be the successor of Moshe Rabbeinu, and it's the beginning of his telling the Jews that we're going to march into the land of Israel, which is the first chapter of the book of Yehoshua. I think this covers basically um, the main ideas of Hoshana Rava and Shmi Atzeres and Simchas Torah. Thank you so much for listening. And one last uh, request, and that is that when I started these podcasts uh, a little over a month ago, so I figured that I would talk about the holidays. So I didn't get to talk about everything that I wanted to talk about, but I covered a lot of the topics. And now the holidays have come to an end. So we got a while till Hanukkah. So I'm not sure what to do next. So I'm open to suggestions. So if anybody wants to suggest a topic, please feel free to reach out to me. Thank you so much for listening.